0: So basically, Bill should have just dropped the mic and stepped off the stage. That was amazing. I felt like, I mean, in America we have a saying, I mean, I'll translate here, but pull down your pants and get ready for a spanking. That was awesome. Like, I felt like so realigned. I was texting, I was tweeting, I was telling friends. That was so good. I hear Bill all the time, but I felt like reset and refreshed. It was so good. So um, we're gonna have a good session here. It's hard to follow that. I have a couple books that aren't here that are my new ones that uh, didn't get make it to South Africa, but they are on all the digital devices. So they're on Kindle and whatever you have, you know, Google books and iBooks. And this is one of them and it came out last um, summer. It's called Prophecies, Prayers, and Declarations for Breakthroughs. So there's there's a little teaching in the beginning. Someone likes it. And then there's, uh, there's 10 chapters and it's usable prayers and prophecies and declarations for each one of the subjects. Like family, business, like how do you apply breakthrough? What does God say about breakthrough to mental health or to physical health? And so we did well-constructed prayers and declarations, and then God gave me a number of words, and we've uh, released this, and it's just been phenomenal. Actually, actually, after all these years, everything we've done, this is the as far as resources, this is the one resource that I get the most report about. Like people come to me, and you know, I see people. Sometimes people take pictures of of people who I would have never seen this happening with, but there's people in like the Department of Defense in America, there's people who are like, someone saw a super high level pop star who they didn't know was a Christian. I don't know if she is a Christian, was carrying this and her stack of things behind the scenes. And I'm like, yes, Jesus, that's amazing. So I believe this is a, a key for those of you who needs language. You just need language for breakthrough. I'm teaching this tonight at the church service I'm going to at Breakthrough Church. And so I'm gonna teach about this. And so those of you who can't get the book, you're going to hear it tonight anyways, but the, the prayers will help you. I want to give this to somebody who, because I only have one copy, right, in your nation. But I want to give this to somebody who, um, you are, you've are. you already had a measure of greater breakthrough that you've dreamed of in life, but now your breakthrough needs breakthrough. And I want it to be somebody who has had real estate breakthrough that you need more breakthrough on your real estate to bring it all the way home, to bring it all the way through. The woman who has both hands up. No, she has both hands up. She's in this section and she, yeah, you're coming. She's waving her hands now. That's you, this is for you. I'll just put it right over here. If you can reach it, this is a tall stage. And then uh, the other book that I have, this is really interesting. I just wanna say this in the context of what it is. Thank you, bless you. This is called Through the Eyes of Love. And uh, there's a, a publisher, that's the, the biggest publisher in the world called HarperCollins, and they do the most Christian books of anyone else. They, they have Thomas Nelson's on it from a lot of your local groups here. Uh, are, are there. And they came after me, and they said, we want to publish a book with you because we believe, we, we did research with all of our people. They have the largest list of pastors worldwide. They have the largest list of Christians worldwide of any publisher. And they asked them, what, what themes do you want books on? And th- these are mostly conservative evangelicals. And the number two theme was hearing God's voice. So they came after me and they said, okay, you have the the demographic because most of our demographic online, we reach about 5 million people a week. And I would say, uh, I think it's, I think it's our demographic is 25 to 37, which is very young for people in our genre. And they said, we want your demographic, do you want to write a book with us? And so we wrote, 18 stories that aren't just my stories, but other people's stories. Things like, you know, God speaking and how someone came out of divorce and and actually got healed, or God speaking in politics, or God speaking in different areas, and how do you listen to God, and faith comes by hearing, so when you read the stories and get a little bit of teaching, it helps to reprogram you, rewire you, and so it's kind of like what I've been preaching or sharing about in the last couple days, but it's a little bit more practical and a little bit more guidepost, or Reader's Digest, if you know what I mean. So I'm gonna give this to somebody who's brand new to hearing God's voice. You consider yourself, you know what? I'm gonna give this to a Catholic. Do we have any Catholics here? I'm gonna give this to a the, Who is a Catholic? You were a Catholic. No, I'm a current Catholic. Somebody who, do we have any current Catholics? Come on, someone's a Catholic here. You don't have to be embarrassed. We love you. Right here, come on. I've been uh, mentoring priests in uh, California. Thank you so much. And there's a move of God in the Catholic church right now. And we have one priest in in Southern California who's in charge of 4.8 million Catholics in Southern California. And he's a radical on fire believer who has brought me into all kinds of ridiculous, weird things to do ministry. And it's been awesome. So I'm I'm just have such a heart for the awakening that's happening there. So here we go. I want to (laughs) share. It's so hard to share after you did that. I just want to be like, drop that mic. That was, I mean, if you were Kanye, you would have just dropped it and walked off. But you're Pastor Bill. So I was reading Jerusalem Post last year. And uh, I don't read it often, but I was reading it. And, and I, I read this article, and it was about uh, the influential Jews that are alive right now. And when you understand that God did something with the Jewish people that started in Deuteronomy... Sorry, before Deuteronomy, but Deuteronomy gave a very specific promise in Deuteronomy 8.18. He says, I'm giving you the ability to produce wealth or resource or influence. All those words were one word for Hebrew. Wealth, influence, resource. And if you claim it in your own right, you're going to lose the ability. But if you you credit me with it, you're going to keep and continually to use this ability. And there's a theme through the Old Testament that I'm going to display my nature of abundance and blessing on the Hebrew people and the Jewish people for all time that there's something about them that reminds us of a people who are resourced, even though they were the most almost genocided people in history. They've been the most persecuted people group in history. I mean, in all of history, they've been the most persecuted people group. And there's so many people today who are still in so much confusion, including in the church towards the Jewish people, but we can't separate the root system of the Bible from the Jewish people. And when you read this, they're still on display for these very principles So I want to just read this. The world Jewish population is estimated being only 2% of the total population, only 13.5 million. And it goes into the statistics of where they are. Yet in Vanity Fair's latest list of 100 most powerful people in the world, 51 are Jews as of 2019. 10 of the 50 people of the year in Forbes annual billionaires list are Jews. Of the 802 Nobel Prizes handed out to date, 162 have gone to Jewish people. And Michael H. Hart's book, The 100, A Ranking of the Most Influential Persons in History, Seven are Jews. So seven out of all the people in the world ever, seven are Jews. They've been featured prominently on Time's annual list of the world's most 100 influential people. And in 1999, the magazine named Albert Einstein, Person of the Century. Now this is interesting when you think about this people group that God displayed his nature through and is still continually doing that. This small little group of people who, because of the covenant of God, have continually risen. If you look at the top 10 areas of industry and influence in the world, out of the 100 positions in the top 10 industries, there's at least 10 Jews in each of those positions. In the entertainment industry, they did a list of the the 100 most influential people in the entertainment industry as of three years ago, and 98 were Jews. There's only 13 million or 13.5 million of them. You know, sometimes I'll have Jewish people come up to me if I ever read something like this. and They're like, I'm not one of them, help me. You know, like, I want to be one of those, you know. It's like when you read online, like people's net worth. Like I just read the other day, someone sent it to me. And they're like, someone's reporting on a celebrity site that you're worth $10 million. I'm like, I wrote, show me the bank account. I need that bank account right now. That's amazing. Like, I mean, like I'm this hyper wealth guy. That's am- I want. I want that bank account. Like they need to give it to me, that's not fair. So it's not like everybody has that experience, but there's something about the covenant of God where he's given them the ability to produce this. Now I wanna to talk today about provision and I wanna to talk today about resource because I believe that this nation is at a key time that there's spiritual issues that require spiritual resolution and there's economy issues. Of course, that includes jobs and industries and these kinds of things, but there's also spiritual issues And these things are going to take time to resolve. But in the midst of those times of needing resolution, there's solutions and answers for God's people. And some people like to use buzzwords. I'm not really into uh, certain buzzwords, but I love the word breakthrough because it's one of the names of God. It's one of the natures of God. Again, I'll talk about it for those of you who'll be here tonight, or not here, but at the other church tonight. But there's this place in God's heart where he gives us a vision And he promises to resource the vision with everything that we would need. Now, here's the problem is that most people who get the vision think the resource is the vision. So I'm sitting with a friend of mine 10 years ago, and she has a master's degree in education. She's in her late 30s. She's unmarried, and she's given her life because she wants to become part of the state she was from, a part of their school, you know, program that runs from the state runs the entire school system in her state and she's going after politics and she's super excited about this and she's excelling and God speaks to her for the first time about her destiny she's never heard God before this way and he says I've made you to be an actor she said that would have been real nice if you had told me that when I was 12 and I could have pursued that but I'm 38 and women in the entertainment industry of color don't do very well starting out at 38 years old So the Lord didn't take that excuse and he just kept pressing it on her and she started to get haunted by it. He's actually really good at making you really miserable when you follow him. And if you're like, God, I love you, I'll do anything, even if it was ten years ago, he's like, Hey, you're gonna be miserable not doing the anything you promised me. And so you may have only had like, you know, ten dollars in your bank account then and no identity, and now you think you have something, but I am actually want to cash this check now that you, you actually gave me 10 years ago. You know, I'm going, to, I'm going to cash this price. When you're in a conference like this and all of a sudden you're like, how come you're asking me for so much? She's like, because you told me I could have it. You just forgot. So she's, you know, here's God, you're an actress. And so she, she does the thing that she never thought she'd do. She moves out to L.A., which was in her family, and her mind, the worst place in the world to live in America. So she gets out there, and she has enough savings to live for a while. Everyone in her life thinks she's crazy, except for us, who she came to. And we're like, this is God. You know, we love you. She's super talented, super gifted. And she starts going to acting classes, and her money is about to run out after about a year. And she's, I mean, she's brand new to the whole thing. And so she's a wannabe or maybe a gonna be. She's not an is. So she's like, you know, she needs a a day job. So anybody who is in L.A. who works at at a restaurant or a coffee shop or Walmart or wherever, they are all aspiring, whatever. So you can go up to them. If you want to learn how to prophesy, go to LA just on a trip. Go up to anybody who works anywhere, Uber driver, whoever, and say, I feel there's a spirit of creativity on you. And you're going to do things in the entertainment industry. And they will cry because they're so underaffirmed. And they will hold you in their arms as they weep, and you will become their daddy. So people go, you know, how did you learn how to prophesy to our team? And they'll be like, just over the entertainers of you know LA. It's easy. You know, they're like, you're going to write songs. Like, <laughs> I've written this so many. God's going to anoint them. <laughs> I'll become a Christian, you know. So she, she moved out. And she was going to do substitute teaching. She was going to get certified for our state and do substitute teaching because that makes sense that so she's pursuing acting. And she really didn't have a lot of faith in herself for acting. And she really didn't know why she was there. She was just following God. And so at one point... She's about to get certified for substitute teaching. And I said, she comes up to me and she goes, this is so weird. Like, why am I doing this? Like, I'm only obeying God, but I know it's God. But I'm going to go become a substitute teacher. And I just had this like little check mark in my heart. I said, have you asked God about that? And I'm not that person. I'm not like, get a word for everything. I was like, but did you ask God about that? She's like, no. She's mad at me. Like, I don't want to ask God about that. I like substitute teaching. That will give me joy when I'm pursuing acting, which I don't like. And so... She, you know, it's prayer time. And she's like, God, is there anything you want to tell me about this substitute teaching I'm doing? He's like, yeah, I want you to be a barista. Now being a barista is beautiful for people who want to be a barista. But for someone with a master's degree in education who doesn't want to be an actress, who's in LA, being a barista is hell. So she goes, Jesus, a barista. So she comes up to me and she's like, why is God having me go this route? I have all these friends who are doing everything they felt they were supposed to do. One of my friends is, you know, she's the education director of the state. One of my other friends, he's leading a school. Like they're doing everything we all went to college for and they did A, B, C, D and that's how their life worked out. And I said, well, your problem is that you have asked God to be an influencer of his kingdom. They didn't. And so he's taking you through a process that only he can bring you and the education isn't black and white. The education is by following the lamb and you've laid down your life for him and he wants to teach you something by being a barista that you could never learn as a teacher. So you need to go be a barista. And she's like, oh, this is so stupid. Now, the problem is this is during the recession in LA, so there was no jobs during this time. And so she went to the one Starbucks that was down the street, which is, if you're a real barista, that's considered kind of a ghetto barista in LA. But uh, so she goes down there and they had 250 applications that month. She has zero experience, everybody else had experience. And she goes in and she turns into her resume and she makes it really stale. The manager calls her up and goes, I noticed you have a master's degree. Can you come in and meet me? And she's looking for some responsible people because she has all the young entertainers who are using the job as a crutch as they're trying to pursue their career. So she goes in there, and she sits with a lady, and 15 minutes later, she gets hired. She had told God on the way, I will only do one interview, and then I'm going to go become a substitute teacher because I can't believe this is you. So she gets in there, she gets her job. She's there for six months as she's taking acting classes and doing the whole thing. And she comes to me and she's like, I am so in love. And I said, With who? I thought she was dating someone. And she goes, I'm so in love. With the girls I work with, it's all girls in all the shifts I work with. She goes, It's almost like I'm the manager, but I'm not the manager. I'm even managing the manager. She goes, I'm the mom. I feel like I'm back in a sorority. I'm the mom. And I'm walking them all through their life problems and they're all meeting Jesus and they all, she goes, it's one of the best things that's ever happened. It's my, one of my favorite environments, but I hate the job itself. But I love these girls so much and they're all gonna be actresses and musicians. And so I'm walking them through their identity stuff because a lot of them have just stuff. They just have stuff that no one's ever walked with them through. I'm like, this is amazing. And I say, you know, you know what's happening? She goes, what? And I said, you looked at your destiny being an actress. And it violated the fact that you felt like your destiny was your educational career. But the reality is God's called you to something that's more after his heart. It's even more important. Your calling is acting. Your calling is education. But your destiny is the people you get to love. And a lot of the reason why we don't have the right resource available is because we haven't truly fallen in love yet. We don't know who the joy is that's set before us. We don't understand Who God, the tribe, the people group he's called us to, we're focused on doing the things versus loving the people. Our love language has become people serving our vision, not us loving the people who are part of the vision. And so it's very, very different when God's trying to change a culture where he allows us to be fully resourced because we're fully in love. There's great resource for everything you've done. And I'll I'll talk about her story in just a minute. There's great resources for everything you're called to. So, you know, the works that God prepared before time began, these works he prepared were, especially in this side of eternity, where we get to cultivate this world to be ready for Jesus. We get to literally hand him his treasure. We get to hand him the souls, the lives that we get to love. We get to fall in love with ourselves and the world around us and help develop a maturity in people and an identity in people, and every talent or skill that he's given us or calling he's given us serves that purpose. But when you do it flip-flop and you actually serve the calling and not the people, then he can't fully resource you. And so a lot of the resistance that we think is warfare is actually protection because if God gives you your dream, but you're not dreaming it with him in the way he's dreaming it for the people he's called you to love, you actually violate love and you'll do all kinds of things that will destroy your life and possibly other people's lives as well. And we see that with politicians and great business leaders and entertainers who you can see there's a there's a, a, a line behind them of dead bodies, of dead people they've run over to get to their career. They were so driven to see something happen. We see it a lot in Hollywood where you'll meet, you know, you think sometimes pastor kids can be, you know, run over or hurt sometimes. It's, it's known around the world, the psychology, Fuller Seminary will tell you about it or Bible University or these Christian colleges have done studies in their psychology department on the effects of pastoral ministry on pastor's kids. It's about 57% that leave the Lord and don't want anything to do with religion. That's a lot. But think about a producer or an actor who destroys their family in the name of craft and career because they love the career more than the people. This happens all the time. And it's very common for us, the first question we get when we're, you know, growing up is, what are you going to be when you grow up, right? Well, the first question we give new believers or people who are growing in God is, what do you feel called to? Or what's your destiny? And we usually put it in line with whatever serves us or whatever would serve the biggest picture of, you know, evangelism or whatever. We don't put it in line with the value of you're a worthy person and you're going to bring quality to the world And the people you're going to spend time with, you're going to call out the quality and who they are in God. And you're going to deliver Jesus' reward. And that is your true destiny. You're going to fall in love in such a deep way that you're calling God can't resist giving you more and blessing you because you know his love. Because favor always follows love. But love doesn't always follow favor. So my friend, back to her story, she um, worked for six months in this group, falls in love with all of them, is now in the place of saying, now I want to be an actor because you can put me in higher platforms and I can love more of these types of people. I wanna be around this tribe. There's no one here. This is like the third world nation in the spirit. Hollywood and film and television, there's hardly any Christians. There's more now than there ever has been, but it's still so underpopulated. You know, you picture like, I'll just say Los Angeles where I'm from, there's 4,000 churches in Los Angeles for 9 million people. And there's really about 15 million people. There's a lot of undocumented people. And Nashville, which is way smaller, there's 4,500 churches. And so it shows you we're underserved by the church. There's not a lot of faith. There's not a lot of Christianity. And then you deal with people who work on Sundays, which is most film, and television, music industry, they don't go to church. 50% of Christians in America don't go to church. 75 to 85% of Christians who are in the entertainment industry don't go to church. We watch Bethel TV. Just kidding. I do. When When I'm not at my church, I watch Bethel TV. So, She wanted to go in and she started to fall in love with this people group that was totally underserved, totally under love, that no one's a missionary to. No one even sees it as a mission field. They see it as a corruption place. And she fell in love. She finally found that place of love. And the day she fell in love, it was like Sunday she told me that. Then that next week she had this come to Jesus moment where she's like, I will lay down my life for these people. I will do this the rest of my life for you, God. I will I will take a, a grip position for camera work. I will be a makeup artist. Whatever you want me to be, I don't have to be an actress. I will do whatever you want. And God said, no, I've made you an actress. So that week, one of the girls gets uh, one of Netflix's first projects, one of their first TV shows that was a series. And so she's all the girls at the whole you know, coffee shop are like freaking out like it's them. Like if one of them make it, they all make it. You know, so, ah, it's happened. And she's hugging my friend and, and just saying, thank you so much for believing in me. And almost like they're leaving forever. It's like, you know, it's like the yearbook time. Friends forever. And uh, she leaves. And so the next day she goes, this young actress goes to uh, what they do, a table reading for the show, you know, and they start to get to know their characters. They start to get to know what's going on. And at the table reading, one of the women who was supposed to be cast, who was the, the, the young girl's older sister on the series, um, the woman got sick, and she had to have surgery, emergency surgery, and she was going to be out for nine months, so she was no longer able to perform in the series, and they needed to replace her, but they, they couldn't find anybody for this role, they only found this one person, so they have no backup plan at all, zero. And so they're talking about it and this young girl hears the director and the casting director and the producer talking about the fact that they're missing one of the main characters and they're going to rush production. And she says, I know this is like totally inappropriate, but I have a friend at my work that when I read the character, she's exactly the character that this character is. She could just be herself. And she can come in. She just works at a coffee shop, but she knows she's supposed to act. I think she's talented enough to do it. Would you, would you consider her? And they said, we consider anybody that anybody said right now. We're that desperate. And so they brought her in the next day. She read for one minute and they said, you're good enough. You're her. Okay, you're her. And she got the Netflix series and she's been acting for nine years since on series. But a lot of the tipping points happen when we fall in love. And a lot of the resourcing happens when we understand the heart of God, not just the things he wants us to do, but the heart behind him. And so I want to look at Jacob a little bit, because I feel like I had this one moment today where I said something about Jacob, and so I had to study him for a minute. Because there's these weird provisions. The way that God provides is really unusual. Have you ever noticed that? I like how when people come to me with well-crafted prophecies that are a little too specific, they scare me. Like, I know exactly how God's gonna do it. I immediately, like, I literally go, I just can't hear it. It's like, if you know exactly how God's gonna raise you up and do everything, you don't need faith. I don't believe you. It's like, I know who I'm gonna marry, what day that's gonna be, what their name is, what's going on. And I'm like, you scare me. You have a manufactured idea that you've fallen in love with versus an actual person, you have a persona. And so God's provision comes and it requires faith. There's usually a gap immediately when God calls you to your destiny, there's a gap between you and your destiny It requires him resourcing you for it to happen. You can't do it in your current strength, your current social economic capital, your current relational network. You cannot do it without God. He does that on purpose. You feel a little underqualified. You feel like, why am I going this direction? Like my friend, she's an educator. And he's like, you're an actress. No, I'm not. Yes, you are. Now she has been for nine years and can't imagine not doing it but it took God to call her into something. She's like, why didn't you make me this from the time I was young? It's because I wanted you to look foolish to people when they ask you the question, how did you know you wanted to be an actress? And you say, I didn't. Which is so different than the people who are like, I was born an actor. You know, that's what you get in, like it's like the prophetic community when you meet prophets, they always tell you, my mother couldn't have me. She had six diseases. But then I came forth in her womb, you know. Like, and then you ask the mom, and the mom's like, "Yeah, it was kind of sick. I had the flu." But they want to, like, everybody wants a heroic, legendary backstory. We have Jesus. He's our backstory, right? Like, we don't need, we don't need the superhero origin story. Like, he is our origin story. Like, I don't have a great origin story. I grew up in a Christian house. My parents loved me. I'm so sorry. I wasn't beat. I wasn't told, you will never amount to anything. My parents loved me well. You know, like, like, I don't have the origin story of, like, defilement. You know, I just have the origin story of I loved my parents. They loved me, and that was it. You know, so, but we don't need that superhero story. We usually use those superhero stories when we need significance because we don't feel it from God himself or in our own selves. And that's important to know because you will block provision coming when you make up a story. You'll block the resource of heaven when you have to feel like you have to be big. We call it big-dogging in our, in our state. When you big-dog somebody and they come up to you and you act bigger than you are. And it could be in a spirit of humility. Like, I'm so sorry for saying this, but I have something to say. That's even big-dogging, even though it sounds humble. So I want to look at Jacob for just a minute because in, there's this moment in his life in, uh, in Genesis 45 and, you know, at this point, he has given everything with his sons to go because they're in a famine, and he's losing everything, and he's afraid his family's going to starve. And at this point, Joseph had kept his youngest son, and he sends back everything, and he's waiting for word. It's a week goes by. He knows it takes a certain amount of time to get there. He's stressing out because he has all his grandkids still there, but his sons are gone. He has his grandson waiting for him, just looking every day, just peering for them like there's 11 of them. Look for the 11. Look, look for them. And I'm, I'm hoping they all come back. I'm hoping I get my two back, you know? And and so he's standing there just as, as wrecked as you can be. He's past the point. He doesn't feel like there's any favor. His youngest or his first beloved son that he loved the most has been gone. And he thinks he's dead. He thinks he's gone forever. He has no idea that out of his own seed, God's planning not only his redemption, but the redemption of Israel. He has zero concept of that. He's a man of faith, but at this point, He's wavering and he's waiting. And all of a sudden, his grandson runs to him and says, grandpa, grandpa, there's, they're coming. There's these men coming. And he goes, tell me, what do you see? Because his eyes were failing at that point. even He didn't even have vision anymore. What do you see? And he says, there's these 11 men who are dressed like Egyptians and they have all these donkeys and they have all these carts. And he hears the 11. And he's like, oh, they're all coming back. But then he hears donkeys, carts. Like no one had carts. They were all so poor. Like, everybody's so poor. And these are Egyptian carts that were right off the showroom floor. They're, like, literally, like, the most beautiful carts you've ever seen. And his sons, who went in rags, are coming back dressed like noble Egyptians. There's no Israel, Israelite who's dressed like a pharaoh. Zero. There's zero of them. And they're all coming back. And as they come back, he realizes it's them. They come back with all the money that he had sent, with the son that was kept and left behind, with the other son who was... You know, held. And, and he, they come back, and all of a sudden he looks at him and goes, Oh my gosh, surely God has provided. Then they say, Joseph's alive. They explain the whole thing. And he realizes in that moment that Romans 8 28 is true. He doesn't know that scripture. That God will work all things together for the good of those who love him. But realize that what, what Jacob cared about wasn't the money. It wasn't the stuff. It wasn't the calling of Israel. It, wasn't, it was his boys. He cared about his boys. He cared about Benjamin. He cared about Joseph. He cared about all of them. He knew that his boys, I mean, maybe they were gone for a while and they were coming back. His first thought might've been, did they steal from some other town? Like my, my little scoundrel boys, am I in trouble here? But when they came back and they, it says they each had two or three pairs of clothing that were brand new to them. They didn't have clothes. They had rags. They each had, you know, they had, they had treasures. They had enough to make them the most, most wealthy people in their region. that was brought back in one day. And it was past midnight. It was past the point when it would have mattered, so to speak. Have you ever had someone come past midnight? It's people say, God will make you wait till the 11th hour. No, he'll make you wait until it looks destroyed sometimes. Because he wants such a ridiculous story. Now, I'm not saying God afflicts you. I'm not saying that God wants negative things to happen to you. As a matter of fact, God could train you through his love and positivity faster and his goodness faster than evil, right? He can train you through—I mean, I have good parents, and I wasn't abused. And I didn't have to overcome, like, years of PTSD from trauma, from abuse— I like learned when my dad said, I have good thoughts for you. Let's dream together way easier and way, in a way that made me thrive versus somebody who's like, I had to spend 18 years to get to the point where I can hear that, right? So when you're in goodness and you're in love, when there's that place of health, God, that's, his, that's the vehicle God wants to train us in. But because we live in a fallen, broken world with broken relationships all around us, he will use the negative to serve us in such a way that you have to realize when when Paul says this in Romans, he's basically saying, I'm gonna take what the enemy meant for evil and make it serve you. In other words, the devil becomes your servant. Because he's already under Jesus' feet. Now, where was Jesus raised up? This is part of your resource education. Ephesians 1 says that Jesus was raised to the highest position with the highest title, the highest name, the highest everything. There's nobody who could give him anything else. That's why when the disciples are like, we know you're the king, we know you're this. They didn't really know he was that. They thought he was gonna be a natural king on the earth. And he was gonna do this kingdom thing. And he was gonna reflect the father. They had no idea how awesome he was. Now, so Paul says this, you've been given the highest title. And then, or Jesus has been given the highest title. And then he says in Ephesians two, you are now seated there in that title. You're entitled within the title. He is now asking you not to just be the servant of all and to serve him out of the subservient nature, but he's saying, I was the son of the father. You be sons of the father. Love, lay down your life for other people because that's the privilege you have to help restore everything into the original idea of God. And in eternity, we're obviously going to be fully resourced and we won't require any faith. We'll just see. We'll be in full knowing. But there's something about that's so precious about this side that's such a gift of time to be able to give God our yes and give God our belief and give God our ability to love people who aren't worthy of our love today, but they're worthy of his love for what he did on the cross. You won't be resourced for who you're called to unless you know who you're called to. Some of you are like, I know I'm a writer, I'm writing books. One of the worst things that happens to me, I get, I get probably, I'm, I'm sure Pastor Bill's the same way, somewhere between 7,500 books a month, people want me to endorse or do the forward or just read. Or, I get about 50 scripts a uh, quarter that people want me to go over because I do script consulting. And most of them are terrible. And the reason why they're terrible is because a lot of people who are writing the books are writing them for the immediate people they serve, or they don't even serve a people. They might be more itinerant, or they're just a stay-at-home mom or whatever, and they haven't fallen in love with the people and written to them. They've had a concept, and they've been excited about it, and they've written that. But have you ever read a children's parenting, children's book from somebody who's never had kids? How many of you would trust that a whole lot? Like if somebody came to you and said, hey, you're not doing parenting very well today, can I teach you? And they're 19 years old, what would you do? So a lot of what people are writing is theory until they've planted it within a community. As a matter of fact, if they were planted in a community sharing, teaching, inspiring, they wouldn't be teaching this thing over here. You know, a lot of the itinerant ministries that go around and they major on minors and they think, this is the most important thing. And they try and fixate you on some things that are actually like great niche subjects. Everybody has a niche that's great, but they try and make it the most important thing. And what happens is if you're a true spiritual parent, like if you're an apostle or if you're a church leader, or if you're somebody who has a lot of children and you listen to it, it actually, when, when, if they come across like this is the most important thing, you actually don't value them as much because they're coming across with some elitism over their subject. They're not putting it in the right place. And so it's a turnoff. You're like, oh, this isn't that important. Like, I don't care about the Nephilim. Like, it doesn't matter to me. You know, someone gave me the book on angels and demons and they had described every demon and... They put one of my favorite video games, Fortnite, as one of the Satan's most biggest portals to the generation right now. And I was like, Oh, I'm done. And they're like, This is the most important book that's ever been written for the youth. I'm like, this is the least important book I've ever read for the youth. But God bless you, there's someone who will love it. Could you write the forward? No, because you you spoke against the sacred Fortnite. I will not write the forward. But when we don't have a connection to true family, then our message is disconnected. How can there be the resource of favor? How could God blow up your book, if you're an author, sell a million copies, when there's no one who needs that book that way? Your audience may be 10,000 for the way you're presenting it. And that's okay, to love that 10,000 would be important if that's who you're called to love. And there's this, you know, if you talk to most youth of any culture, I go to everywhere, so, we can go to Kenya, and they would say the same thing. In the, in the midst of poverty, they want to be YouTube stars or Instagram influencers or TikTok famous. Everybody wants this place of, I'm going to be an influencer. The problem is they're not connected to the people they influence. I remember one of the guys I was who came to me, and he's amazing. I can't tell you the background. sports background, huge sports background, professional athlete. And so he wanted to use the limited influence he had. It was a good influence, but it was limited And so he was like, I want to build this. I'm going to build it to a million followers. And I said, that's awesome. I said, how many followers do you have? Oh, just 23,000. And I go, tell me about your followers. He goes, what do you mean? Tell me about the people who are following you on Instagram and and on Facebook. He goes, I don't, I don't, they're just fans. Well, tell me what you like about them. And they comment and they say, I don't read their comments. Wait, you want to go, what do you want a million followers for? Like, do you want to make money? No, I have money what are you, what are you doing? Like, this is the stupidest request you've ever made. And that's how the church, when that description of what he's saying is what the church is like. Because we want a lot of significance in things, but our main significance is in people. Now realize the older generation, I like that too. Thank you for clapping. The older generation of the church leaders that are 70 and above, a lot of them, if you just describe love languages, you know, do you know the five love languages? If you don't know them, you can figure it out later. But um, their love language was acts of service. And so they would say things like, Dida, your vision, serve mine. I know you're with me if I see you setting up chairs at my church. I'm I'm so glad you're here. I see you present every time. If you don't show up, they call and ask where you're at. Like, how are you? Are you okay? That kind of thing. Well, the younger generation, the emerging generation under 35, they're Of leaders, of senior pastors, their, quali- their, their love language is quality time. They don't care if you serve them. They're like, are you with me? Like, will you spend time with me? Do you know my family? Do you care about me? And it's really unique. It's like a huge generation gap between the two. Because I mean, I'm telling you, like, I'm friends with some of the main emerging church leaders. And they don't care if you serve them or give them a big check or do something huge for them. They want to know. I mean, that's all bonus. But they want to know, like, what's your heart towards me? And will you give me your heart? Totally different than any other generation. I've never seen it before. I'm so excited about it. I, I like the older generation too. I think there was a time for acts of service. And there was a time that that was the dominant love language because God was drafting people into this great big scenario. But there's a generation shift right now that's happening in the church across the body of Christ. And you can read it from all the church statistics and church how they're growing and the whole thing and, um, and how they're decreasing. And the number one issue of decreasing churches and numbers is connection. The issue of connection, are people connected? You know, a lot of people do social media to inform, not to connect. And informational social media is dying already. It just came out and it's already dying. People want you to throw a party that they can converse with you about on your social media platform. If you're unreachable, like Gary Vee, some of you heard of this guy, Gary Vee. He's one of the top social media influencers right now. He has the filthiest mouth in the world, but he's really interesting. And Gary Vee was like, hey, I'm gonna give you my phone number and you can text me. Don't call me, but text me, and I will personally text you back. So, what happens the first day? 250,000 people text him. And then he needed help. So, he's like, I can't personally text you, but I'm gonna help. I'm gonna be engaged. I'm gonna have my team go through this. And, like, we're gonna really try and be personal with you. And what happens? He grows, doubles his followers in six months because he's now personal and connected and people feel like they're talking just to him or them. Christianity is supposed to feel like the most connecting religion in the world. We're supposed to feel like when people come up to you, like I've, I, the, worst, the worst thing that people have ever said about me is like, he's unapproachable. I'm like, if I'm unapproachable, if I'm a spiritual jerk, I'm like, that's the worst thing. Cause I've been around ministers. I've hosted conferences for years. I've, I've hosted some of the greatest people in the kingdom of God and there's some people who are real spiritual jerks to people that they don't know how to talk to but most of it's because of social anxiety. There's a lot of people who didn't know how to manage the spheres and so they got social anxiety and so it causes them to shut down and I get crowd anxiety. So when there's a big crowd, I start to get like anxious, like fight or flight inside of me. I'm like either gonna press them and be like, okay, let's do it all or I'm gonna be like, I gotta go. I get that too, and I understand. it. So if you have some dysfunction in your background or you have any kind of PTSD, you have trauma, and all of a sudden you have that and you're in leadership and people come up to you and they go, I need help. You're like, everybody needs help. (laughs) And those pastors have asked me, I've had some of the greatest pastors in the world ask me, why do you think I'm not going to the next level? Do you think this is as great as it's going to get for me? There's never an end to the increasing government of God in your life. You've never hit your peak, you've never hit the highest place. The only thing is that you have to add to your equation when you're thinking about it how well am I doing at loving the ones He's put in front of me? Do I care about the ones that are here instead of just the vision that it could become bigger? Am I intimately involved with the breakthrough and the the government that he's given me around me? Or do I care more about tomorrow? I remember in LA, my first crowd of church members were disenfranchised people who had gone through cultish type churches. Like one church was a polygamy church that shut down. Can you believe it was polygamy? It was a normal church that the pastor started teaching to have more wives and it shut down. I wonder why. Then another church, the pastor was gay and sleeping with everybody in his church. And all seven staff members that were men, he was sleeping with them all. Spiritual manipulation. Another church, so like this, I, I won't go through all, five churches and all the people came to me. So I move out and I'm like, we're normal. And I was, My first major message to like the influencer of the church was, if a pastor asks you to touch your private parts, bad pastor. If a pastor tells you you're supposed to do something that you don't feel is from God and then manipulates you, bad pastor. And I taught them the difference between good pastor, bad pastor. We all laughed, but some people were weeping the whole time because they'd come under such a spirit and such an oppression, and they'd given up their rights as a human being. And so they were, you know, and we, and we also brought counselors in right away, and we had 75 people go through counseling, and the, the uh, Fuller Seminary loved us because we sent them all there. It was great. So then our counseling was discounted when we went... Yes, I went to therapy too. So I inherited all these people, and I remember you know a year into it, it's like there's a, a bunch of wannabes who had moved to LA. We inherited them; and they were more healthy. Then we inherited the really unhealthy people, and then we just had people who were excited about you know we're kind of part of Bethel, and they were just excited about what Bethel could be, and they'd been to one of our events or something. And so I'm like going, and I remember just I was with my team, and I was like, you guys. I can't wait to influence Hollywood. I can't wait to, you know, I can't wait to see what God's going to do here as if we hadn't started yet. And one of the girls on our team, she's just, she's a rock star. She worked against human trafficking for 10 years with a local FBI. She's done so much stuff. And she looks at me and goes, you can't wait till what God's going to do to influence? Are you connected to who we have in our church right now? They're so amazing. And I'm like, well, no, they're good. But I mean, like God's going to give us like incredible people. And she's like, excuse me? There's nothing like being put in check by somebody who's a social justice warrior. Because you don't just get put in check, you stay there, you know. You're like, okay. Every time they look at you, you're like, I love them, I love them, I love them all. I love them. They're my people. But basically, she was the voice of God to say, settle down, settle in. Bloom where you're planted. You know, we hated the building we were in and and, and because we hated it, God gave us a park, and we didn't even have a, a roof over our head. I mean, there's all these buildings in L.A. It's L.A., and we couldn't find a building. We tried everything. We knocked on every door. We could not find a building for one summer. And so all summer long, we met in the heat of L.A., outside where there's no trees. There's always trees in L.A. And God's like, you didn't like where you're at. Let me give you a new space. Hmm. So we were there, and I remember just the moment that we as a leadership team said, you know what? Let's enjoy the space. Let's make the most of it. Let's bring umbrellas in. Let's throw a party here. Let's really be engaged. People are making a sacrifice to come here. Let's really spend time with them. Let's really love them. And then we we're teaching them to do the same because many of them were dissatisfied with the stage they were at in their maturity. And so they were living for tomorrow, and they didn't like today. And it was a recession. So we moved there in the recession, and there was a writer's strike. So all the reality television that uh, that's come out now came out because... No one was writing dramas. There was no scripted television on. And so there was like 35 reality shows that were coming out a week. That's where The Bachelor came from. That's where American Idol succeeded the most. All these things because in its second phase because there was no TV. So all of our people who were were actors or were producers, directors, were not working because of the strike for over a year and a half. It was wild. So we're like, we have no money. We're in a park. We have no influence. And this is our family, and you can't pick your family in God, I promise. You think you can, you can't. And we, we got real humble, and we said, just like you can't pick your natural family, and there's lots of them you'd like to get rid of, you can't pick your spiritual family, God picks them for you. So we said, we're going to love, we're going to thrive here. And we started to not just love, we fell in love. And then mo- I remember, I was like, there's just this moment of time where we just started to really enjoy where we were at. And things just got added to it. And it was, it was clear it was going to be. Like, we just knew. Like, now we need more God. Now we need, we need a new space that's for real space, not because we're reaching for tomorrow, but because these people that we're serving, they deserve it for your sake. They need to be developed for your sake. The children need a place to meet. The, you know, and it became not a demanding voice anymore, a demanding request. It became a petition of what he already wanted that we had come in line with because we were blooming where we were planted, And the secret of getting resourced by God, even in times of recession, because I had lost my whole net worth in that recession. I mean, 2007 and eight and nine was hard. I've lost all of it. So I lost, I had nothing coming to LA. And I had a prophetic community that I trusted and loved who were completely against me being there. So they turned all of our core partners against us to finance us there. And they were one, they still love us, but they were like, we can't help you. We can't partner with you for your vision for LA because we think LA is gonna be in the ocean soon. And so they would say that, like that's how ridiculous it was. And I'm like, we're in L.A., God's going to resource us. And it was like being fed the little manna every day, just going, okay, God, at some point we're going to cross over in the promised land, but we can't have such a vision to cross over that we don't thrive and love today. So we're going we're gonna to thrive. And stuff started synergizing that we could have never planned, we could have never created, and... It, during that resistance from finances, there was a resistance from finances that I think was God more than the enemy for us, and maybe for you too. Maybe you've gone through that. God spoke to us one day and gave us a word through this prophet, and he said, you're going to solve your problems not by throwing finances, and I'm like, all of Hollywood in the business industry does. You're going to solve your problems by love and creativity. And God wants to make you excellent at creative solutions so that you don't use money in a wrong way. It was the only time in my life I've ever been in recession I was so mad when they said that word I was like okay I'm going to learn that this week so it can be done doesn't take a week so it takes a little bit longer God wants to provide for our material, our emotional and our spiritual needs and I think of you know some of us who have a destiny to reach so many influential people, and some of those influential people might be stuck in extreme poverty right now, or we have a destiny to influence politicians, or we have a destiny to influence family. We have a destiny to whatever it is. And that gap that's between you and that that vision, you have so much power in that gap. You are not a victim of circumstances of lack, but you have the power to activate your faith, and one of the ways you activate your faith that causes acceleration is by saying, "God, I'm going to treasure." Like Mary pondered the word in her heart, and she treasured the word. But it wasn't a prophecy she was treasuring. Like, "Ooh, I got a prophetic word! Whoa!" She was treasuring the fact that she was pregnant with Jesus, and she was seeing him. Like when you're pregnant, my wife, when she was pregnant, she just dreamed dreams with the baby. She just, she just had this living. There was something that was so precious about what she was. My wife was carrying, and she was treasuring the destiny of these little girls. And so, of course, so was I, but I mean, Mary was pondering this, and a lot of times when we hear the pondering word, we think, I have this, I have an apostolic calling, I'm pondering it in my heart, and this is the Lord. When you have a true apostolic calling, and you're pondering it, it means that you're falling more and more in love with all the faces that God shows you that are under the jurisdiction of the government that's his. And you're pondering their destiny and their benefit. I love what Heidi Baker says, that apostolic is upside down, the apostolic kingdom of God, and that... apostles are actually at your feet because they're you walk on them they become the bridges that you walk over to get into your destiny and i think you know a lot of us we we have a um you know we have a problem sometimes with hyper wealth message you know because we we hear you know you americans you're so you're so full of abundance you care so much about money i don't care about money in the sense of like i want a lot of money for myself i care about money because it's an amplifier I care about social capital because it's an amplifier. I care about in favor. I care about resources and lands because they're an amplifier, but my identity is not in those lands or in that money because all those things, all they do is they just bring me to a position that I could bring him more. And you know you're in hyper wealth or hyper prosperity gospel, the wrong kind, when you care more about the stuff than you do about him or the people. That's the little balancing act you can do right now. So if you don't care... That much about the stuff in light of the people, God can trust you with the stuff and you should actually say, I need the stuff. I need millions of dollars for my calling to happen. You may not need millions of dollars for your calling to happen, but you may need a house. You may need, you know, or some other property. You may need employees. You may need something in your life right now, just right now that's practical so that the thing that he's, Birth inside of you that causes you to cry at night, that causes you to feel his goodness, that causes you to feel his brokenness of his his broken heart over humanity. You need a resource to unlock your life towards that. And you have every right in light of that to say, God, here I am. You want this more than I do. You, Jesus, have already prayed for this resource to be given to me in heaven. The poverty spirit says we're not worth the resource. But when you have that, when you have that poverty spirit that says, the resource is like unethical for me to have, it's I'm not good enough for the resource or it's wrong to ask for resources. What you're really saying is, the price you paid on the cross doesn't deserve a full inheritance. Because your calling is to give him his inheritance. So some of you need to come out of that mentality that says there's never enough or I'm not worth enough or I'm not worth. Like some of you might today say, millions of dollars for your, you need millions. That sounds really greedy, Sean. There's zero greed. Zero greed. I know I don't have greed in my heart. If I had greed in my heart, I would be living in the lap of luxury and not here in South Africa. I have friends who own resorts. I would be there instead. But instead, we give a huge portion of our income away to build schools in Congo, our personal income. Like, we've given so much. I mean, I've, people sometimes will say, like, I love your social justice heart, but you should go do something about it. I'm like, I've had malaria eight times because I've sat with the poor in dumps. I've fed lepers, not just for a moment, for like an hour. I've sat with them day after day after day. And it smells. It's hard. It's, if you've been to a leper colony, it's not pretty. It's not sterile. You know, so for me, like, I, I need more finances and resources because we want to build 40 schools and war zones in the next five years. We only have five. We're increasing it to 12 this year. We want to build 40. I need millions of dollars. And I don't just look at, like, I need a sugar daddy. And this is the last part of the point. I wish there was a sugar daddy. I wish somebody would just give me money so everything can happen. That mentality is the ultimate pivotal definition of poverty. And as a matter of fact, when you have the mentality, if you're a pastor, I just need some rich people to come to my church and everything will be okay. They'll solve the tithing problem and we can build our building because they'll come and give us money. It's absolutely... Corrupt thinking, and I've been there. When I was first in LA, I had so many friends who were ministers, and they had like one or two key givers, like they'd have one or two billionaires or something next to them, and they would tell me the stories, and I heard it wrong because what I heard was you have a sugar daddy, and I'm like, God give me a sugar daddy, but I didn't say it that way. We work with prostitutes, so I mean, I know what that means. I'm not, I don't really want a sugar daddy. That's like a controlling, awful, divisive relationship. But I was just saying, I need somebody help to help make my life happen, and I felt like the Lord said. I'm rebuking you right now. Isn't that nice of him? He told me he's rebuking me, then he told me to rebuke. He said, not only do you not need a sugar daddy, but you're called to be a benefactor and a great resource center, and until you get out of this mindset, you'll never give. I'm like, I'm giving all my income, I'm giving everything. How can you say I'll never give? You'll never expect to have the greater resources that I've called you to, to be the great source of resource. And today I want you to look at yourself as a benefactor, even if you have a hundred extra dollars a month, I want you to learn how to steward that for the widows and the orphans and for people in your church, for people in need. I want you to, to be a true benefactor and get out of this mentality, you need somebody to come support you. And I was like, how do I have that mentality? How did I get that? Where did it come from? I thought the journey of faith was waiting for people to provide for me. I didn't meet one billionaire until I became a benefactor. I didn't meet one president until I became a benefactor. I didn't meet one person of great influence in Hollywood until I became a benefactor. And I wasn't a benefactor of much, but in my heart, I was already spiritually wealthy with love and I knew God would resource the spiritual wealth with natural wealth to cause a kingdom reaction. But as soon as you start to believe in yourself that I have the ability like God gave to Israel, he gave them the ability to produce resource for everything he called them to. As a matter of fact, Pastor Bill talked about Bezalel, and he was literally, one of the things that happened was he was given the spirit of wisdom, but it was so he could produce everything that was needed with his craftsmen. Isn't that the coolest thing ever? The first time God filled someone with a spirit after the garden, was a creative artisan. I love that. For those of you who are like creative, you're gonna love that. But it was so he can do everything. So if God's given you a calling, if he's giving you talents and skills to be used, if he's given you a mandate, who are the people it's for? How are you falling in love with them? And how are you becoming a benefactor towards them in the littlest place with the little talent he gave you so that when... The time comes when there's more talents to be given. You're like, I'm right here, I need more. Like I spent all that, I invested it, I have this much more, but we need this much more to do it right. That's what he's looking for. God wants to make South Africa a benefactor. Now let me just switch to give a prophetic word as we end here. I believe that God is saying, Specifically to South Africa, and we have people here from all over, but specifically South Africa, that he's already hidden the wealth in the land. There's already minerals, there's a mineral deposit here that could solve the whole the whole problem of the economy. And it's not even fully discovered yet. There's gonna be a signpost soon. I don't know if it's this year or next year. There's gonna be a signpost because there's gonna be some archaeological digs that hint at what's buried deeper. As far as minerals, there's going to be some archaeological digs that reveal that there's people who are using resources that are needed now for things like smart devices, that are needed now in the sense of gold, that are needed now in the sense of the economy. And so there's going to be a public newspaper report of some sort of archaeological findings that are going to hint at the treasures that are buried deep within. It's going to be a very prominent sign. And I believe that the Lord isn't looking at South Africa worried and like, Oh my gosh, they have problems I can't solve. But he's looking for people who will look at the nation through his eyes and see that the solution's already there, and it's time to broker them. And he's raising up. I believe one of the things that Bill's done this whole time is he's raising the bar of spiritual wisdom. Do you feel that? It's like we're all appealing. Like you just get smarter listening to him because of Revelation, you know. So there's the Lord's raising the bar of wisdom, but it's not just for the church. It's for business. It's for all these different industries. For education, God has a plan and he has solutions, and he's gonna to start to do some things that don't just take spiritual eyes to see, but he's going to start to report things. There's going to be cro- prominent Christians who are reported about for providing solutions, and you're going to see this increase. It won't just be a few; it's going to increase and then increase. And there's going to be secular reporting mechanisms that that start reporting on Christians who have solutions in politics and education and in some other areas as well. And they're going to be they're going to share some of that story from a Christian perspective in secular media. And you will know as you see that it doesn't it no longer takes eyes to see that God's in the move but the society can see that God's doing something different and it may be super offensive to a lot of people because they don't like Christianity but the the bottom line is that God's on the move and he's about to take what's been an undercurrent of his move and he's putting it on the surface of your nation because in a very short period of time he wants to make this nation an influential nation that causes something to happen where it feels like you know where where you have a uh, Switzerland is kind of the neutral spot where banking happens for Europe, and you have Singapore for Asia. I feel like South Africa is called to be that—it's a, like a banking center and a safe place and a place of unity and diversity where anybody can come and be safe. So God has a safety plan over this nation, and we see a lot of the opposite right now. But when you start to see in the Spirit, the opposite is usually the enemy trying to preempt because you know, like whenever the light comes, Isaiah when it says, "Arise and shine for the light." You your light has come the glory of the Lord rises upon you You see thick darkness rises up what happens is whenever a light comes and God usually puts it on you for the time you're born so it's not like you've just discovered it you're just like I'm awesome I have a call of God this is amazing but when you were born that light was already in you it's in your DNA and the enemy looked at you when you were born and went I have to kill you And he started to create plans for this generation of South Africa to kill you. But God knew those plans too, and he provided a way out of those plans as well. And I feel like this year is going to be a doorway out of what the enemy intended over a whole generation of South Africa. And he wants to release a great message of hope that causes a greater message to go beyond you of hope. And I feel like there's been a war over hope for, you know, 50 years. And God is saying, I already won the war. I also believe when Nelson Mandela died, that the Lord said, it's too small a thing for just one more to get raised up. I want to raise up a generation of Nelson Mandelas. And some of you are actively coming into an authority because just like Elijah gave Elisha, as Pastor Bill shared earlier, when he said, and his thing fell off the stage when you were using that thing. When it fell off the stage, I had a vision and it was Nelson Mandela in heaven with Jesus. And I I don't know if you believe that or not, but I know he's in heaven. And out of heaven came a civil rights movement. When Bill did that, a civil rights movement that's landing on the church to carry the civil rights over this nation. And it wasn't one Nelson voice. It was a generation that was starting to carry the DNA of reconciliation. Now, let's, let me just say this. When we're talking about resources, let me prophesy this over South Africa. Whenever God authors something, he will never let it return void and he will always bring the finishing grace. And there's some things that were spoken and dreamed about by the previous generation of Christians in this nation. Some of you might've been a part of that. You're still relevant today. So there's been some things that were prophesied about and dreamed about that God is saying it's time for the finishing work to push these all the way through so that this can be a firm foundation for this generation to rise up and to see something to happen. And I believe that the, the marketplace people that are in this room, you're the forerunners of the next great move of God. You're the, literally the frontliners of what God's going to be doing. I think the church will of course be, you know, occupying the space and training and nurturing and mentoring, but I feel like God's commissioning a lot of pastors to have a business as well. He's commissioning business leaders into into an appointment in the spirit. And it's not just to make money so the church can grow. It's an actual appointment in society to make Jesus famous. And I felt like today he wanted to shift something in between the relationship of business leaders and church leaders to where church leaders don't see business leaders as just benefactors. Because we're now coming into our own ability to be benefactors. But where business leaders would also look at church leaders and say, I need the same anointing that you've been commissioned with for my business industry. And so I'm gonna pray for the business leaders. I want you to stand up right now. And if you're around them, just stick your hand on them or put it towards them. And I, I pray over you right now, first of all, For kingdom alignment, that you would come into right kingdom alignment and theology. I pray that God would bless your perspective. I pray that he would put anticipation for what he wants to build in you. And I pray that you would literally walk into this message of fathering and benefactoring. I pray that if you've had great needs, that you wouldn't look to a man to solve it, but that he would show you within yourself how he's already planted relationships. He's planted creativity to overcome every obstacle that's in front of you, he would never lead you this far and not lead you all the way so lord things that feel like they're dead like jacob when he looked and he thought now all my sons and all my money are gone and we're starving and he had no hope and he sent his grandson as his only hope to just look maybe on the horizon they'll come god i pray for people who are at that place today in their business where they're beyond they're just beyond themselves that with need I pray, God, that you would show us that everything we've invested and everything we've done for you is going to bear the greatest return that's beyond what we can hope for or imagine in our wildest dreams. God, that you're about to deliver a resource that our neighbors are going to look at and go, how in the world is Pharaoh sending carts to this house in the middle of the ghetto? Lord, thank you that your resource is near. It's not far anymore. Thank you, God, that there's divine alignment and business relationships. There's divine banking There's relationships to banking and loans and and finances that just have never happened in our lives. That you're going to do something that we need today. I see literal contracts on tables, but I also see foreclosure slips. I see bankruptcy uh, applications. I see things that some of you are facing right now. And I feel like God is saying, I am in the contracts. And I am in these papers. And I am in these I'm I'm even in the bankruptcy papers to come and help you. Even before you would finish this process in the natural, I'm going to do something spiritually that would cause a great turnaround like Jacob at the last minute, at the last second, when he was almost beyond hope, but he was a righteous man and the Lord solved it all. I feel like the Lord's saying, I'm coming to solve big problems, but you have to change in here. You have to change in your mind right now. Lord, to those who are already blessed, multiply it. There's a tall poppy thing. We just break it right now. We just pray, Lord, if they're already blessed, multiply it with ridiculous favor and blessing. Let them be more noticeable than they ever have been. To those who don't have, Lord, bless or the hungry, for they'll be filled. I'm gonna have you sit down real fast. I just want to pray over um, people who are um, worship. And intercessors, worshipers and intercessors, especially if you have a ministry of worship or intercession. I feel like there's, <laughs> you're going to be glad you're this person now. The people who did it 30 years ago, maybe you're that person too, um, weren't as happy as you because they had to they had to plow really hard. And I saw this, um, I have a key someone gave me. It's a giving key and it says plow. And, um, and I saw a, a key that some of you were wearing around your necks and it was it was called last push. And I felt like the Lord was saying, "There's one last push of prayer and intercession and worship, and these prayer movements before like your, your calling to pray isn't going to be with uh, the faithful steady as she goes. Your calling of prayer and intercession and worship is going to be we're we're making a last push with an urgency that something huge is about to break out. And I feel like some of you have had encounters where you've seen fire or water consistently and you've prayed into fire and water. How many of you have seen fire and water? That's been your language. Uh, this is not an everywhere thing. This is a South Africa thing that God has been showing the intercessors because he's showing you two types of the ways he's going to move. He's showing you how he's going to saturate everything with his presence and he's showing you the fire, which is Hebrews 12, that everything that can be shaken and burned will be. And there's a, there's a push of prayer right now that he's saying, push. Push, last push. It's kind of like the pregnancy, the last push. You are, you are blessed amongst intercessors and worshipers in Africa because you're not doing the labor of the hundreds of years. You're a blessed, there has to be a generation who receives it. There has to be a generation who inherits what's prayed for. There has to be a people that actually call it forward. There has to be a people who break it open. And you guys, I'm not saying might be that people, I believe you guys are that people, that there's a great move of God Right on the other side of this. And some of you are going to start to get an urgency. There's going to be more um, formulation of working together. There's going to be some of you who were maybe in business and you were in intercession. And God's going to say, launch even more intercession. Do more 24-hour prayer. Do more worship. Do more consistency. Like he's commissioning some of you who are like a local worship leader. And he's saying, go join a house of prayer as well. Do more do prayer nights, do prayer vigils, do worship vigils. Like there's going to be so much commissioning that there's going to be stadiums filled like what you're hearing with The Send in America. There's going to be stadiums filled with worship events because there's a push of prayer over the next few years that's going to just change everything. And so look how many people are standing. That's unusual that this many people are worshipers and intercessors and are feeling this. If you have recently felt an amping up of commitment to actually do more in worship and prayer, raise your hand. So that's all of you. That's, that's the whole room. I hope you're being honest because God's taking you seriously and he's looking at you as one of the brokers of breakthrough of this nation. And he's going to hold you to that because he's going to give you responsibility over it and you're going to not just pray but the difference between the last generation and this generation is you're going to declare. They were hoping and praying in faith you're going to declare because you're starting to see. You're going to call forth what you start to see. I see the size of a man's hand. I see it, it's getting bigger, it's getting bigger. That's your generation of prayer. So Holy Spirit, I pray over them. I pray that you give them a new zeal, a new tenacity, that you give them the resource to be intercessors and worship leaders and worshipers. I pray, Lord, that you would raise up All the finances that are needed, Lord, that they wouldn't look at themselves and say, why isn't someone hiring me or why isn't this working out? But they would know that you're putting inside of them everything they need as a benefactor for South Africa, even as an intercessor, even as a worshiper. I pray that they would even have micro-businesses or macro-businesses that would form outside of this calling that would support the calling and beyond, Lord, that would actually finance history of South Africa. There's the presence of God. He's here. So I mean, He's putting that furnace. He's He's like putting more hot coals in there. And I just want to say this over you, and this, then I'll end. I know I'm a few minutes over, but I'll end. When when Jacob finally accepted the good news when he, when the, his grandson came, in uh, Genesis 45:27, the word that happened it was called revive, but the word is translated that's used for stirring up of dying embers, which were almost extinguished under the ashes. And Jacob's spirit was almost extinguished when his sons came back with a message of hope. And South Africa has almost been extinguished in certain areas of hope. And the Lord is saying, rise up with the fire that's in your furnace and go to the embers that are almost extinguished. And the first move of God you're gonna see is the reviving of the church. And there's an, they were almost extinguished, but then God put so much fuel in that fire. So much fuel in that fire. Lord, we pray that we don't need signs of the fire that's coming because it's already amongst us here in this room. And we pray that you would commission this fire to revive the church of South Africa and that there would be a move of reconciliation and unity, especially between the black and the white church of South Africa.